Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we jump into today's podcast, we're going to discuss the loss of Lauren Burnett and the impact it's had on the JMU community, the softball community at large. Uh, we don't have a ton of thoughts on it, I think, and and we're probably not the people to have a lot of thoughts on it, Jack, but um, I think we should discuss it at least a little bit. Yeah, it's a, a tragic passing took the JMU community um, by extreme surprise and the outpouring of support from the softball community at large, as well as the JMU community, the Harrisonburg community, um, and really the whole sports community has been um, really something to watch that, you know, at the darkest times for the softball community, uh, they can rally together and and really show support for a JMU softball team that probably has never and will never go through something like this again. Uh, and like you said, we, we didn't know Lauren personally. We haven't been covering the softball team, you know, in person for four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not close to the situation and we're just... We were reacting to it, um, probably like any JMU alum who enjoys JMU athletics did, and yeah, yeah. Um, apparent suicide is is kind of what's come out in terms of the news there, and shocking and, and hard to grapple with. The team, the softball team, canceled their season uh, recently. I think that was announced this week. So obviously, really sad news, and kind of shows that mental health can affect anyone. Uh, we only saw her from a softball perspective and she was tearing it up at the end of the season was having an, an unbelievable year. She was CA player of the week. Um, I think she got that award on the day that she passed. So obviously really emotional and, and horrible. Um, and I think it, it opens up some questions that probably aren't going to be addressed now, but in terms of, um, you know, what the athletic department does, and I know they talked about this a little bit in the recent press conference in terms of mental health and student athletes, um, what they can do to support people, but maybe even more than that, like campus-wide, yeah. what, Jamie, you can do to support uh, people dealing with mental health struggles. So I'm interested to see JMU's steps moving forward, but there's also a, a time and place for everything. And I also think um, fans need to be cognizant of that too. I know there were a lot of people, very well-intentioned, but a lot of people who quickly after the fact were suggesting people throw money at the counseling center or trying to come up with solutions. And I think... That's probably not what the team or the program needs um, currently from people who aren't like licensed medical health professionals. If you don't have a lot of experience in that realm, doesn't mean you can't voice your opinion, but I don't know that you need to like seek out immediate solutions for the program. So I think our perspective, we're going to kind of take it in. I know that it's been interesting and really impressive to watch so many other schools come out and support JMU during this time. We're certainly going to support the team. Um, but I don't think we have a ton to add to the discussion. I think that's the other thing just from like a, a fan perspective. Um, I think there have been a lot of like kind of generic stories about her passing. And I am looking forward to when the time is right, reading and maybe even contributing to in some capacity, um, you know, stories that kind of honor her memory when her family's ready to talk and things like that. I imagine there will be people on the JMU beat who will tell those stories as time goes on. Yeah, 100%. Everyone grieves in different ways, and um, I think it just shook shook to the core JMU alumni, the softball community, JMU athletics, in a way that 
I don't think I've ever experienced in my time of covering JMU athletics. And I don't think it's something we'll necessarily experience again. There is a mental health crisis, not only in the athletic community, but on the campus of JMU and every other college and university across the country. And we'll see, we'll see what happens from here. Yeah. And I guess selfishly as a fan, I am looking kind of forward to ways that people will honor her memory. Cause I'm, you know, I'm curious to learn more about her as a person because everything, everything that comes out from teammates and things like that has been overwhelmingly positive. So the more stories that keep her memory alive and tell who she was as a person, not just a softball player, when she was an exceptional softball player, I think those are going to be really um, worthwhile. And again, when the time is right, I think it's still really fresh and, and raw and hopefully, you know, to put a positive spin on it as, as much as you can. I hope there are actions that JMU eventually takes and maybe other schools as well to better support athletes and to better support students in their mental health. Cause it's, it's very important. Welcome into another edition of the JMU sports news podcast. I am Bennett Conlin joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, how are you doing? We're chilling. We're doing all right on this Wednesday, chugging through. Um, yeah. Just chugging through. <laughs> Just chugging through a Wednesday. It's a, it's a week. It's NBA playoffs are happening on the, uh, on the, on the actual job front, you know, NBA playoffs, mm-hmm. NHL playoffs, MLB. I thought, I thought March madness was busy. It feels like almost now it's, it's busier. Yeah. You got so many sports. It's hard to get any, any break, a, a whole lot going on. JMU sports wise, things have, have maybe slowed down a little bit. Um, you probably heard our opening. We discussed Lauren Burnett and her impact on the JMU community and that devastating loss. Uh, I don't think we have too much else to share on that now. I think that's probably something we'll probably get into later, as we kind of mentioned, and as other people will probably cover more later as well. Um, but but maybe worth from the on-field perspective, worth noting that softball season's over. 21 and 21, they'll move into the Sun Belt next year. Uh, kind of unclear on who's coming back and who's not coming back. So we'll just kind of see what happens um, as things go on. From a fan perspective, I think I'm probably going to attempt to go to that home opener next year, as I imagine that will be a very um, emotional and uh, energy-packed game as they honor her memory for the first time at home uh, after Lauren Burnett's passing. Agreed. So something to keep an eye on there. We've got a bunch of other stuff. And the other thing I do want to mention, um, we recorded a podcast last week and you made the very smart decision of probably not dropping that, right? So we've decided to essentially scrap, if I'm not mistaken, that episode and kind of rehash it today. Yeah, we'll rehash what we talked about last week, mainly because we recorded Monday morning, Monday afternoon. Right. And it was a very jovial podcast, jokes, laughs, and we just felt like, Last week, there was never really a point where that fit into the JMU conversation um, and our voices aren't that important. So, yes, <laughs> very <laughs> true. So I think we had questions on that one. Do you want to hit those later? Do you want to hit those now? Because there was spring game talk that I think now is maybe less interesting, but still maybe worth a three to five minutes. Yeah, I guess spring game into NFL draft, just JMU football oh, yeah, yeah. in general. Um Last week, we talked at length about the QB competition between Tons and Teo, mm-hmm. um, not Tino Sinceri, like I said, on a Twitter space we once did. 
Yeah. You know, those Italian names, they get me every time. Um, but Centeo looks to be the clear-cut favorite to be the starter in the fall um, with Billy Atkins and Barnett the third backing him up not sure who's going to be the backup in that situation most likely billy atkins just based off of the run they all got in the spring game um the offensive line is still a little bit of a question mark and we come out of the spring game not with a lot of concrete knowledge on what the starting offensive line is going to be come week one against is it middle tennessee yeah so we, we're not 100 percent sure what the offensive line is excited to see as the season gets closer also, don't be surprised if the quarterback is not named until they're running out for the first offensive series week one. Um, we'll most likely see a Centeo or Atkins or Barnett type of situation on the two deep, that first two deep we get at the O'Neill's press conference. So be aware of that. Offensive line's a question. Defensive front seems pretty stacked. Defensive linebacker seems pretty stacked. Um, if I'm not mistaken, we were pretty solid with the front guys it's the back end that we're a little bit worried about see how wesley mccormick comes back from his injury from last season see how uh the rest of the the safeties and defensive backs do wayne davis not signed to an undrafted free agent contract the only two players from the 2022 2021 squad were uh liam fernadel who got a mini camp invite from the steelers and mike green who got a two mini camp invites um i forgot which two teams though one of them was the Bucs because the Bucs have a weird obsession with Jamie players. The other might have been like the Bears or something. But, yeah, he's got two. I haven't heard anything on Cole Johnson, so we'll see what happens there. I think you pretty much covered most of what we did football-wise. And Teo seems like the quarterback. Yeah, go ahead. Wide receivers. We talked about last yeah. week on the podcast that we scrapped that there was no height. Yeah. But they got a transfer who has height. They had a transfer – from ECU, Troy Lewis, I believe it is, wide receiver 6'3". Um, just a quick message board search for them on like an article on like 24-7 sports had a lot of people being like, damn, like I wish he didn't transfer. <laughs> Seemed like he had a really good spring. So I think that's a good one. He was kind of dead set on JMU, which I thought was interesting too when he was in the portal. He said he wanted them. They wanted him. He took like one visit and I think he was pretty much done. Similar thing happened with the Liberty offensive line transfer who I think only took one visit so interesting that some of those guys are so committed early on um one of the other things that we had talked about the offensive line you mentioned it they returned pretty much similar group to last season that started in that final game but they have added a couple of transfers and like the depth is a question and how it actually shapes up is definitely a, a question like you mentioned although i think they'll probably be confident in whatever that starting unit is my questions will probably be more the second group and, and to see the growth, because Fernando yeah. was out for a, a few games last season, and I forgot who's Cole, not Cole Potts. I forgot who stepped in at left tackle for him last season, but you saw an extremely just the offensive production fell off a cliff for the games that Liam wasn't in there. So with an offseason and those games under his belt, I expect that position, especially left tackle, but that position group as a whole to kind of take that step forward and meld together. But that is something to keep an eye on. That production fell off so greatly when Liam went out. Um, and now the depth is, I think the depth is the biggest question because outside of the starting five, there's, it's really all redshirt freshmen and sophomores backing them up. Very true. The other football question, uh, Roger Smith had asked, who would you like to see as like an end of season rivalry opponent for football, Old Dominion or Marshall? 
I think we both kind of narrowed in on ODU because they're in state, but also kind of said that like anything is works, right? It'll be fun to have anyone kind of in that spot. Anyone works and that ODU has that pass. I mean, yeah, there's some history. We hear stories of the ODU JMU rivalry still to this day. We don't hear stories of the Marshall JMU rivalry because I don't think there really is one. I think the ODU one helps even the basketball history. I feel like their football one is like somewhat limited, but still like kind of heated. So it's yeah. it's interesting that there's like that sport by sport thing with ODU that, that probably doesn't apply um, with Marshall. So something to keep an eye on there. Uh, there's a softball question that we don't need to get to anymore because they've the season canceled, as we mentioned. Um, and the other one that maybe we'll get to later, but Peter Mooney asked about like major benefits outside of like obvious ones that have been reported on for Jamie moving to Sunbelt. And the one that I said that I'll kind of stick with is that if there is a big picture realignment or shakeup of division one, I think looking like is going like week by week, it seems like it's going to happen. I think it helps to be in the Sunbelt potentially performing well and like being in the AP top 25 and all these things and maybe getting in the NCAA tournament basketball and having a good baseball team, all that stuff helps being in the Sunbelt. You got a better chance of like remaining with the, the top tier programs when there is a shakeup specifically yeah. with football. If you're in the, like no CAA teams getting included in a D one football shakeup, trying to like have powers break away. You're not including Delaware in that. So um, that oh, Delaware would, fans here, you say that true. They think they're at the level of JMU. That's, that's accurate. So even like North Dakota state's probably not getting included in that shakeup. Right. So like getting in the correct level, the FBS in a good group of five division is valuable for that. 100 percent um yeah anything else on the wide receiver I don't, I, mean, I don't know why i just pivoted to the wide receiver kobe white also should be noted from boston college signetti seems really high on him prime yeah. for a a good season now that he's fully healthy um so the wide receiving core should be good our main concern was height and it seems like they got that in the ecu transfer um but anything else with football are you surprised how the, I guess more so switching up to the NFL draft? Yeah. Were you surprised that, I mean, we, I don't think either one of us were surprised that no JMU kids were selected, but are, were you surprised that none even got an undrafted free agent contract? It's all rookie camp invites. It's crazy to think that a random FCS Twitter scout who's tweeted about like, who has several hundred followers tweeted about how he views Cole Johnson as a friend might've had bad Intel on teams being interested in drafting Cole Johnson. Um, so that's shocking to hear. No, like there's a lot of draft nonsense and like teams just sort of say stuff. And when you have those like lower level, not to like bash on people, but a Twitter account that maybe he's like a really specific scout for a specific thing. And like, he falls in love with someone and then wants their opinion to be right and says, Oh, this team's actually really interested. I don't know. Like everyone, thought that teams would be interested in Malik Willis at like, I know the lions were mocked to get him at number two and he went 84th or something to the Titans. He's going to be a backup to Tannehill. So like a lot of the, the media stuff is different than how NFL teams feel. Um, so I don't think I was ever expecting any of them to get drafted. There were certainly some rumors floated about Cole, but it was also like, Ooh, Colts are interested. It's like in what taking him in the sixth round to be a backup. Like it's, it's also, not, I don't want to fully poo poo on this kid or this person. I don't even know. Who, who I think it's an he, adult. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> I don't want to poo poo on this guy. But I mean, he also could have had an intel from a scout. Like yeah. From a, the Colts, say, who really loved Cole. But at the end of the day, it's the coach and GM's decision who's also talking right. to 
14 other scouts and talking to the head scout and this lower level 14th of 14 scouts on the Colts may have loved Cole, but you know, the actual top scouts didn't. And so they went with, you know, not him. And they're going to stick with, I don't know, Texas quarterback, Sam Ellinger, who they drafted last year. Like it's like the level to get into the NFL is pretty high. So I think that was maybe underappreciated with some of the JMU reporting. Um, and then like kickers with Ethan Ratke, like those tryouts can come at any point. Like yeah. he could get one a year and a half from now because a bunch of kickers suck and he's still training or something. So we'll see what happens with it. I don't know exactly how Do it'll go. Do you expect Green or Fernando to land on a roster? Or who do you think has a greater possibility to do so? I think we did that question maybe last week, and thank God that that one didn't air for my sake, right? When we talked about, like, of those four guys, how many would be on you said 53, man, yep. 53 mans or practice squads? And I think I said, like, all of them. You did it, say all four. I, I, I didn't forget. Maybe one of them makes a, a practice squad. My guess now would be zero. It's really hard. Like, the tryouts below undrafted free agent, right? Like, you have to get through that. And then you have to get through all like the, the mini camps, the camps, all that good stuff and like still get on the practice squad. So they have a, an uphill journey. Um, Cole and Racky not even currently having tryouts, puts them at, you know, a little disadvantage too. So my guess is maybe somebody makes a practice squad, but I would, I would lean toward like, no. Yeah. Um, remember when Jimmy Moreland was drafted and he still had to battle extremely hard just to make it onto the practice squad or 53 he man. got on the 53 after like an insane preseason like yeah. seventh and round then he pick. was cut two years later and right. landed on the <laughs> right. texans pra- like it's it's hard to make a 53 man roster it's incredible especially hard. from rookie mini it's hard to make it as a draft pick when they've yeah. spent actual capital on you when they're just bringing you in for fun like whew, it's gonna be difficult it is good that green has two mm-hmm. which means there there's interest but it's gonna right. be really hard for fernado um, I believe one of their coaches is a former JMU quarterback. So there you go. Oh, they have is Blaine Stewart on their staff. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So that's cool that they've got um, a connection there and, and an opportunity for them is great, but it's um, yeah, it's hard to know exactly how everything will, will kind of pan out. 100%. So with all the transfers happening in football, they got Kobe white. They have the ECU transfer wide receiver um, lineman from Liberty, we've seen it now with the pit transfer going to USC or Texas. And he's, I mean, it's cited that NIL is a big reason. How is NIL now going to impact? I guess I don't really know where you want to go with this NIL discussion, but I mean, we're seeing it now more and more in, I mean, it's, it's everyday discussion around college football and we've seen transfers impact JMU. So take it away with your NIL talk. Cause I don't know where you're going with this. You just said you wanted to talk NIL. I did want to talk NIL. I think NIL is pretty interesting with like, it's essentially kind of a pay for play in some situations now. And I yeah. think um, it's interesting as a fan to wrap your head around it because at the same time that you want players to have success and have NIL opportunities, it does sort of suck as like a college sports fan who loves like JMU. tradition <laughs> and the pageantry and JMU and like how they, could have a player for four years when instead it looks like a like rapid transfer portal. And then you've got NIL, which is essentially just like USC stealing pits bets receiver. Um, like it's, it's interesting because the NCAA sucks. Um, and because of like some, I wrote about this for my actual job earlier <laughs> this week, but because of like 
different court rulings, the NCAA really can't enforce a lot of its laws or guidelines. So they can't really enforce anything without it being like potentially struck down in court. Um, it's going to get to a point, it probably should, where schools put players like on employment contracts. And that way, you'd maybe be there a certain amount of time. It's harder to break it. You can't just transfer with tampering and things like that. Um, I don't know when that'll happen. I think it'll take time. But I just find it very interesting to see like how things are are going in college sports. I think it's okay to not, as a fan, be like obsessed with that. Like if you're a fan, your favorite player and you're a pit fan, your favorite player leaves to USC, you don't have to like fault Jordan Addison, but you also don't have to be like, yay, like my team sucks more. Like, you know what I mean? Cause you're, you're just a fan. So from a JMU perspective, kind of interested to see how they compete in a very changing landscape. Um, because they're going to get more more eyes on them now in the Sun Belt with football. You're going to have some guys who star as freshmen and sophomores and might say, hey, I'm moving. And you can't really fault them for that. It's just how the current system is set up. So um, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. We've also seen it impact JMU already. I'm not saying Antoine Wells was paid to go to USC. By no means am I insinuating that because there's been no reports of that. But he balls out for two years, goes to an SEC school, who courted him pretty heavily from the jump. Um, So you wonder some of the backroom stuff that's happening there. And also you got to, I mean, to me with the pit to USC thing, is his name Jordan Addison? Yeah. With him, he's going to Caleb Williams, who's arguably the best quarterback. And you're leaving, you had Kenny Pickett, you balled out, who was the best quarterback in college football. Now you have question mark. I don't know who Pitt's new quarterback is. So to, to me, like not only did USC tamper, but also for his own, like, Oh my God, yes. Go to Caleb. And same with Antoine Wells. You're going from Cole Johnson an elect, not an electric, but a very efficient thrower. Who's going to get you the ball nine times out of 10 down the field. You're going to a question mark and Santeo Atkins or Barnett. And now you're going to Spencer Rattler, both Oklahoma products uh, courted by Lincoln Riley. So. Yeah. It's like, if you're going from Pat Narduzzi to Lincoln Riley and your receiver, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that decision. Going, so, and, and on top of that, you're going from Pittsburgh to USC, LA, right. which not only right. the NIL deal that USC is giving you to transfer, but also the potential NIL deals in Los Angeles compared to what you have going for you in Pittsburgh. You got Heinz ketchup in Pittsburgh, or you got the entire industry of everything out in LA. Yeah, I don't fault them at all, but I am interested to see how it, could potentially impact JMU down the road. Um, Will be interesting (laughs) too. sorry to keep interrupting you, but now I'm like, my mind's going everywhere with NIL and basketball. Like if Jamie's in a transfer battle with, let's say trying to think of like, like a Vermont, right. Can we offer them money or will Vermont offer them NIL money? And like, how will that sway? Yeah, it's just all weird because it's like like the some of the the NIL money, like Nigel Pack or whatever transfers to Miami, he's got a two year eight hundred thousand dollar <laughs> NIL deal. Like it's that's not an NIL deal. That's pay for play. It's not like he's sponsoring with like Ergie's cheesesteaks or whatever and being their spokesperson. Like that would be more of an actual NIL. So that's what's interesting though, because there's no way for the NCAA really to to change their rules because they had that recent Supreme court decision where, um, you know, it was basically ruled that a lot of the things that they do are like illegal business practices. So we'll see how it all um, unfolds and just interested to see JMU with NIL at all. 
because I feel like a lot of schools have gotten talk about it. Like the most we have was like Shane tweeting that like frats should make a million dollar pot to like get people, which doesn't make any sense. But that's like the only time I've seen people actually legitimately talk about JMU players making money and, and doing things through NIL. There's been a lot of like hypotheticals, but is there actually a situation in the Sun Belt where there would be a JMU NIL collective or something like that's interesting to me. And I've just heard nothing about it. What I'm, yeah, I think every school needs to create an NIL division. And I know this is going to be really hard considering that, you know, athletic work or people who work in college athletics are already spread so thin, but for a program to be competitive, you need to have a team that have essentially created these deals already with your local businesses. And they say, we're looking for X, Y, and Z in an athlete. And then the division or this group of people who are working together with the businesses can assign you an an athlete. I think that's the way things are going. And I think that's the best way for you to be um, productive in this NIL world now. So I think that that's imperative for Jamie. You go out into the community, pair up with three notched pair up with pale fire, Ergie's cheesesteak, all the local car dealerships have deals in place there. And then you have them say, I want this type of athlete in this sport. And then JMU athletics goes, okay, here's, here's Ian Acho. Here's Mike green here. Like, you know what I mean? I think that'd be cool for the athletes and, and interesting. It's also like given the nonsensical NIL that's put it in quotes right now, it's not like you're not winning a recruiting battle on that, but it would be that's cool true. for the, I think, I think I'm more so thinking long-term outside yeah. of it right now, you're getting a donor to give you $500,000 and then you have right. the donor be the <laughs> Claim NIL. It's a, yeah. <laughs> right. So that's, that's interesting. I'm also interested to see like if they eventually get employment contracts and schools yeah. start doing that. And that's part of the shift of like division one, where JMU would fall, what the employment contract for each sport would be. So there's a lot of stuff that's left <laughs> on back, but I just feel like we haven't heard anything in terms of like, what does JMU do to any athletes take advantage? I know there are some like talking to UVA athletes a couple of years ago, that were like, I, I have a year left of college football. I do not care. Like I'm <laughs> going to play well and try to make an NFL roster. Like I'm not worried about this stuff. So there are probably some people who fall into that space too. And on the note of Greek life, like putting together a pot. No. Well, you'd have to get, I think under the scenario, you'd have to get every frat member and every sorority member to give $250 a year and you get like a million and then they'd all have to agree to give it. To yeah, it's, it's just a stupid, who's doing stupid. it. It doesn't make any not sense. only, not only the Greek life, I, I think already pays pretty hefty dues. Yeah. And then not only that you pay a tuition that has athletic fees in it. And then, then you're you wanna... saying this segment of the JMU population, only this segment should then put $250 towards a, a bowl. And then you all come together and say, okay, we want Cam Holden, who's back in the transfer portal to get this million dollars. Like, it's well, then it's a, like, it seems to me that it's just not going to work out. You're telling me you got to convince like, <laughs> you know, Tommy and whatever frat that instead of buying a bunch of 30 racks or kegs for his boys, he's got to try to get some like two guard for the basketball team. So that in the, like, so when they host Texas state, they got a better shot of winning. No, nobody cares. You know, what so, would be amazing if these players like on their warmups, like with the NIL deal, start wearing like what, who's their NIL sponsor. 
and then this player that JMU Greek Life has recruited, <laughs> they roll out and it has like every sorority and fraternity letters on it. And like on the back, real big, it says JMU Greek Life or something. That's what I'm saying, though. I'd love a little more actual clarity of like, what is what does an NIL deal look like for a JMU athlete? How does JMU compete in recruiting wars? Do they ever have boosters who are willing to offer? Like, but I don't know. Was there an alpha dog that was like, hey, Antoine Wells, I'll give you 50K. Like, I don't know if that's something that, like, I know they hard to report on that because no one's going to be like, yeah, I tried to illegally offer him 100000 like, He turned does, me down. <laughs> how does it work would be more interesting, I think, than there are some some hypotheticals out there that are like, if every student give, like, I don't, I also don't want that. If you're a Jamie frat, like, don't waste your money on trying to get, like, a quarterback when he's already brought in a good quarterback without cheating. So, I don't know. But interesting to see how NAL will affect Jamie in the future, I guess. Speaking of Jamie athletics in the future, men's basketball is primed for a fantastic 2022, yeah. 2023 Sunbelt season. They've added two transfers. Um, yeah. And one of them is a lights out three point shooter. Yeah. I think it's last name and we struggled with the pronunciations on the last one that we didn't drop, but I think it's, what is it? Noah Friedel. Friedel. I've been pronouncing it Friedel. Okay. Well, there you go then. But he's a he's a big time shooter from South Dakota State. Can really fill it up. Um, interesting addition as well because he had kind of transferred from South Dakota State. Um, so I think his sophomore year, he didn't finish the season because he was dealing with anxiety and depression. And then at the end of this year, I think he just got benched. But then in his like transfer message, he had mentioned wanting a program or a school with like that cared about his mental health more. Um, so kind of interested to see a guy like that who really cares coming into a university that, that just had like a player suicide um, kind of how he might be able to someone who's going to probably be a star on this team, how he could maybe even help shape how the athletic program or the university could handle some of these things. Cause he has a perspective of what didn't work for him at his previous institution. So I'm interested in hearing from him and an off court perspective related to that. I think he has an interesting viewpoint um, from a basketball perspective, the dude is an awesome three-point shooter. They added Mezzi Offerum, the big guy from Mount St. Mary's, who kind of plays a little bit like Giannis. He's obviously not Giannis, but he plays kind of a similar attacking. I downhill. love it when you say that. He plays he's a lot like Giannis. Nothing like him, but like well, he, him. <laughs> he plays like attacking downhill is probably how I should just say it and leave the Giannis comparison away. But they've gotten a lot better, I think. And they also added a, a freshman. So they got 12 of the 13 scholarships are filled. I think I could see 11 of those guys realistically earning minutes so you can add someone else if you want in some capacity. But how do you feel about this? Because we've talked a lot. How about they're a, a small ball team that can't shoot? Well, he can shoot. So I'm very excited, but I also have baited excitement. Okay. So the Mezzi offer him, I wish she was bigger. I wish they got a guy who was 6'10", because I still think they're not big enough. And I... And as much as I love the Friedel signing, and I think he's going to make an impact, it feels like he just plugged the hole that Falden left. Um, and last year, they were a small ball team that struggled to shoot with Falden. And it seems like before the Friedel signing, they were a small ball team who didn't know how to shoot. They were trash at shooting behind the arc, um, except for Morse every second game. Um, and now with the Friedel signing, it seems like they're a small ball team that can shoot. So like, will they compete in the Sun Belt? Yes. Will they win an NCAA tournament game? No. 
even if they're a six, like, I don't think this makes them an elite lower level mid-major team. Like they're not Davidson. They're not law tech. They're not UAB South Dakota state, these elite lower level mid-major teams from last season. Maybe I shouldn't include law tech. I'm just, I just love Kenneth Lofton, but um, they're going to be good in the Sun Belt. And I'm excited for, I feel like I just really poo-pooed it. They added, they added what they needed to add. I just wish with this one more scholarship, they add a little bit more shooting or more size. Cause it feels like they're running it back with last year's roster with a slightly better shooter than Falden. I just think when they were healthy last <laughs> year, they were still good. Oh yeah. No, that's... 100% they were. And I'm not, not arguing that it's just, I'm now also very interested to see because at times while they were good, they were very lucky and they were also running an yeah, offense true. that was very predicated on to call Molson. And I don't think he should be your focal point on offense. That's a me thing. So I'm just interested to see like how they'll do. And I think Molson's a great player. I just don't think in today's day and age of college basketball, you should be running it through a three who takes contested mid range jumpers. I just like, well, I'm kind of interested, I guess they have a lot of guys. Like I feel like Molson and Ihanacho and even Edwards, like when those guys slash, yeah, like they're really good getting downhill and attacking. And I think it helps because you could now do that with a couple guys who are slashing and a big guy or two, but then you could put Morrison and Friedel on the perimeter and they could knock down some threes if they're spacing. I think they have a chance Morse and Friedel to like score a lot. Yeah. Because I think they're going to be like reasonably open on a lot of threes because people are going to have to kind of crash the lane. So it depends who's in there. I think they've kind of set themselves up where like Morse and Friedel have to play like 33 minutes a game. Like they, they're going to be huge. And I think they have to play a lot. So we'll see how they, they do that, what they do with the last scholarship, all that other stuff. But I'm generally excited because I think they have a chance to, to win the Sun Belt. but it's a fair point to say that, you know, are they going to take that next step to go from a Sun Belt winning team to potentially a really elite mid-major but i think they're trending in the right direction he's doing by i think maybe a better job now with roster management than he did last year yeah and he, he yeah two big commits he also is quoted saying um this is a quote from mark byington he is extremely athletic and can play four different positions on offense i love his versatility and offensive skill package on defense he'll be one of the top defenders in our league and be able to guard all five positions so he's a six eight player who i assume he yeah this is off from um, I assume he's going to have him play the two, three, four, and five at times, depending on the lineup. So that versatility is nice. He also averaged 9.6 rebounds, two assists, and one and a half steals. So yeah. he is a really solid, versatile guy. So, to, I mean, one and a half steals, I think, would lead the team. Well, this is like you could do a lineup that's like Morse, Friedel, Ianacho. You could even go way bigger though, where you do Wooden at the three, like Amadi or Sule at the four, and then Offram at the five or something, or the other way, Offram's the four, Sule's the five. And You've the, gotten the a bigger team. Is Friedel and Morse at the one and two? Yeah, you could always, yeah, because you kind of need the shooting in some capacity, but that's where I think you can work in different guys maybe at the three. But you're big there. Wooden shoots enough threes at the three that he could be a respectable shooter. You got three guys who can shoot, and then Sule and Offram aren't like prolific shooters, but they can knock down if they need to. So I think it's just interesting to see what he'll do. Cause he's got 11 guys right now who like, who are you taking out of the lineup? Like I want Terrell Strickland to play, man. 
I want like like everyone they have of those 11, other than the freshmen who I would think would maybe redshirt. I don't know what they're going to do. I think there's only one freshman. Oh, it'll be two because they added, they just added the commit. Um, the uh, the guard. They added a guard recently who just committed, who like okay. plays in a lower level, but was dropping like 50 in some of these games. Oh, that's right. You got really hype about adding him. I think he will probably sit out. I forgot about Roberson. They still. He'll Roberson. probably redshirt too, though. He might, but he's he's big enough with enough ability shot blocking. I don't know. So yeah, maybe he with, with the people in front of him, like at this point, you That's can't true. give everyone, especially when you're only running three positions. Like, so th- you know, Fridell and Morse are getting 30 a minutes. A lot of minutes. <laughs> so then he's probably looking at 10 guys right now who could all play. So maybe they're 10 deep. Maybe that's what they end up being. That's a lot of guys, though. That's a lot of guys. For comparison's sake, um, Providence last season was running like six guys deep. So one guy off the bench. Like, it's not normal to be 10 guys off the bench. Or maybe 10 guys. Yeah, if you're doing a full second unit, it's a lot of guys. (laughs) So we'll see how the kind of lineup develops. But I think there's potential there. I'm excited about the potential. I think they're moving in the right direction. And um, speaking of moving in the right direction, let's hit lacrosse, and then we'll close out with your baseball baseball takes. So lacrosse, they've won 10 in a row. They're good, man. Sorry, I, I keep regular, interrupting you this episode. I'm so no, sorry. You should be interrupting. CA, a regular season champ, and uh, Selection Sunday is on Sunday. <laughs> That's how it goes, right? That's why they call it Selection Sunday. So they'll learn their NCAA tournament fate. They're going to be in. It's just a matter of who they're playing and where they are. Um, Sunday and then May 13th, which is a Friday, is when I believe the opening round is. Friday, maybe Saturday. I don't know exactly how it works, but... May 13th, Friday is the opening round. We'll be streamed on ESPN Plus at campus sites. Are we going? Probably not, but maybe actually. I think they they could host the first one, I think. Mm -hmm. And then I think the second one from, I was reading some bracketology, the sports blog guys posted. Second one, it's seeming like maybe they're not going to be a national seed, so they might not host that one. I think that's how the hosting works. The May 15th one? Maybe it's the quarters when they go to a national seed. I don't know exactly. I think it's the same site for May 13th. So maybe there's maybe there's no hosting then. There might be no hosting for the the lacrosse team, depending on the seeds. Because I always forget lacrosse is such a tiny bracket. It's really competitive to even get in the bracket. So big time, big time stuff from JMU and and a good way to finish out their CAA uh, CAA time with a little middle finger to the conference winning the regular season. And we'll see if we can get a lacrosse expert on maybe. I guess next week. Yeah. Next week. Cause we don't know as much, but uh, they look good. They're playing well. They got a chance to, to go in. And obviously I know nothing about how the campus sites work, but I think they <laughs> have an opportunity to, uh, to be really competitive throughout. They've, you know, top 10 RPI, I believe right at the, right in that area. Um, 10 wins in a row. They've been really good the last you know month or two. So um, yeah, I'm excited for them. You know who I'm not excited for? Here we go. Hit me with it. How do you lose a series against Presbyterian when you took Tennessee to extras and you've been extremely competitive in almost every single one of your big-time games? I know Presbyterian is around the type of talent that Jamie is. They're 21-22 and this season, but they're 8-7 and in their conference. They're not – if you're Eikenberry, you need to win that series. 
I'm not saying sweep the series. I'm saying win the series. You dropped both on Saturday, the doubleheader, losing five to two, three to one, and then you win um, on Sunday, four zero. Why is your offense not alive? Why are you losing both of the doubleheader games? I don't want to get too heated, but it make it make sense. We talked about it a lot last week. My big thing with baseball is they keep giving Eikenberry these one-year deals where I think he's gotten at least two now, where it's like one-year kind of covid extensions where it's like, all right, see what you got. So this year his contract expires at like the end of June or something like that. If if you're uh, if you're Jeff Bourne, you got to stop with the one-year stuff. So either move on going into the Sun Belt and say, all right, move on. Go, let's break. move on. We want someone else. Or give him like two or three years. No, if move on. He, well, what's his record? What's his record in postseason tournament games? Three and fifteen. I think it was three and fifteen. Yeah, we talked about this. So he was three and fifteen in like the conference tournaments, dating back to VMI. He's never actually made an NCAA tournament in like almost twenty years of coaching. He's, he's also never made a conference championship game. That would make sense with the three and fifteen record. So yeah, I mean, it's I don't know, like. Which is well, you kind of have to if you're VMI. That's kind of how you would have to get in. And even Jamie, you're probably not getting an at large somewhat recently. So like that makes sense, right? If he hasn't hasn't gotten there or won that, he's not getting in the NCAA field. So those are all connected. They're 24 and 20 this year. They don't suck though. That's the thing. Like they're not they're not bad. So I think like there's the comparison that that makes sense with like Lewis Rowe, where it's like there was a lot of talent and didn't achieve. Lewis Rowe like did all that he like. I think there are strangers on the street were in the stands that could have gotten like some of those JMU teams with like competent G leaguer, Matt Lewis to a nine and 20 record. You know what I mean? Like, I think there were li- no offense to Lewis Rowe, but, I, <laughs> but I think the their talent won nine games. He didn't win nine games. What they achieved given the talent level was remarkably impressive. Like the lack of achievement was impressive, like almost impossible to get that little, out of those players. And then like Dwight Wilson goes off and makes an NCAA tournament. Deshaun Parker was making impacts this year uh, with Cleveland state. And he was, you know, maybe the fourth or fifth option on some of those JMU teams. So like they had guys, uh, Darius Banks, Chattanooga, man, he was a glue guy, great glue guy. They had an NCAA tournament roster that was going nine and 20 in a, in a low major league. <laughs> Sorry. This is because Dwight Wilson <laughs> went to Ohio was a starter averaging a double-double, had one of the best field goal percentages in the country, and beat UVA in the first round of the 2021 NCAA tournament on that Ohio team. Deshaun Parker, well, he's been 15 different places. Um, And Darius Banks was a key contributor, as Bennett said, a glue guy to Chattanooga. And Matt Lewis, CAA Player of the Year, CAA Preseason Player of the Year a few times under row, never achieved anything, and then is now a solid guy i think for the iowa wolves is that who it is yeah yeah because it's the minnesota timberwolves g league and I, yeah i think it's an iowa so like they didn't achieve anything where it's like eikenberry's had a lot of talent and they're like a 500 team they win some games they're not like a disaster but they're also not totally achieving like they beat virginia tech which is really good they should have beaten maryland but came a little short should have florida state tennessee. kind of smoked them should have had a really good chance to beat tennessee which is like the best team in the country so they're not bad they're just not getting all the wins they need to and you look at the fact that he's been there you know a good number of years now what is it like six and they haven't maybe even more they haven't achieved anything that's all that impressive or even relevant 
I think that's where the issue comes in um, with them is he's, he came to JMU in 2016. So you're looking at year number seven and they just haven't accomplished anything impressive in the Sun Belt, which we've talked about a lot. The Sun Belt cares about baseball. The Valley cares about baseball. So yeah, if you're Jeff Bourne at some point, you kind of got to make a decision like, Hey, maybe we should care about baseball. And it's hard to defend Eikenberry other than saying like, Hey, they kind of passed the eye test this year. Sometimes. See, and that right there is why I'm, I, I say move on. Don't give him another one-year contract. I've also seen the argument on social media. If you get rid of him, you're going to lose a lot of talent, a lot of young talent, a lot of really good up. So let me, I just really kind of want to set the record, not set the record straight because people who know more than base, more about baseball than I do are saying this. However, from my point of view, you're going to lose DeLotter this year to the draft. The rest of your talent has gone 24 and 20. How good is that talent? You also aren't the best recruiter, I feel like. Like, he kind of lucked into DeLotter. He lucked into a few. I feel like I'm being way too harsh. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm being way too harsh on you right here. Like, Eikenberry's a fine coach. Fine. He's great for VMI. I'll, I'll leave it there. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with him as a coach. It's just a matter of like, and I, like the other thing that I think I said maybe last time and not in previous podcasts, but was um, that he's somebody that if he had two years left right now, I would not encourage them to like fire him. Yes. The I thing is that like the contract this. expires in like two months. So that's, that's where it's a little more interesting where it's like, all right, like you would have to give him another vote of confidence and renew him for a year and to I, keep a year or so. And I don't think the year makes any sense just doing one year thing. So I would rather they do two or three years or, or nothing. So my guess though, thinking of Jeff Bourne as someone who's given him so many one year deals during COVID, that's not exactly a, I believe in your coach. It's more of like, Hey, this would be weird to fire you during COVID, huh? So I think he's, it would be hard for me to envision a scenario where they don't make the NCAA tournament. They finished kind of around 500 this year. And, um, and Bourne gives him like multiple years. My guess is that they do move on. I don't think it crushes them in terms of like the transfer portal. Cause kind of to your point, like they're not that talented, like they're pretty good, but they're they've good. got a lot of, and a lot, of, a lot of the guys that are good are upperclassmen who might leave anyway. I don't know that. I mean, they still have some good, good young players, but are those players, you know, guaranteed to be like, Oh, I'm done. When, when they bring in a coach who might help them win more, be better. probably not like, you have Ryan Murphy, who's a pitcher. He's a sophomore. And you have um, Grant Painter, a redshirt freshman. Really solid young guys. I think Showalter's a redshirt. He's a graduate guy. He is? Yeah, he's old. Oh, I thought he was a redshirt junior. So, so like, yeah, I mean, Trey Dabney, I think, is a redshirt senior at this point. Like, a lot of the, the talent on this roster are older. And, yeah, Eikenberry recruited these younger guys. But like you said, who's to say they won't just stick around with the new coach who, I mean, in theory, will be better and could, in theory, develop them more? I think the big thing is just that we've talked about, like, really big picture, right? If the Sun Belt cares, 
and you want to embrace the Sun Belt. And the and Valley, the valley cares, cares about, cares that's, about uh, to baseball. To me, that's the biggest one. The Valley yeah. cares. If this baseball – look at what softball is doing. They added the bleacher, the second grandstand bleachers out in the outfield. Like people go to those games because they're good and people care about diamond sports. College baseball is also sweet. Yes. Like, like Virginia, Virginia Tech played last weekend and UVA set an attendance record. I think they almost had 6,000 in there. Both those teams are like top 25 teams. They asked, you know, UVA's head coach after the games, like what the rivalry is like. He's like, I don't even really care about the rivalry, but they're like two really good baseball teams in Virginia, like bringing fans to this game, which I thought was a well thought out opinion. And I think the same could kind of go for JMU. Like if they become really good, people are going to go. The games against UVA and Virginia Tech would mean something. There'd be people, you know, flocking to the stadium to watch them, just like softball's developed a really solid, loyal fan base. So I think they kind of need to, at some point, commit to it a little more. And my guess is that they're going to kind of win some games, lose some games the rest of the way, um, and they'll fall short of some miraculous, like, 12-game winning streak that maybe – I don't even know if they went out if they would get in, to be honest with you, So because they play some crappy teams here in the next couple of weeks. So – I don't think they're going to win out, but if they did, I don't know if it would be enough to even get in. If they don't make the NCAA tournament, I have a hard time thinking that they bring Eikenberry back. Again, nothing against him personally. It's just kind of our, I think, our estimated guess of the future of the program. I think they would have needed to beat Virginia Tech and essentially win every series out. Maybe not necessarily win out, but they didn't beat Virginia Tech, and then they lose two games to Presbyterian, who's a similar RPI. To, there's no way they make the tournament. Um, clip up that, too many clip that when they make the tournament, clip that. There's no way they make the tournament. Um, if they do make the tournament, give the guy a two-year deal. I don't know. Like, I don't I don't care. Like, it's just, I don't know. I just no, think I, the, I, I, he, his history has shown me that he's a 500 coach, which is fine. But if you want to be a top-tier mid-major athletic program, you need a baseball program that consistently produces NCAA tournament boost, berths. And then on top of that, like you said, the Valley cares, all of this stuff. And then you're getting Tennessee, you're getting Florida State right now as a bad program. And essentially they're scheduling you there just so they can beat up on you and have some solid start to their seasons. But think of if they continue to schedule Tech, UVA, Tennessee, Florida State, these Southern good schools at baseball and their top 25 or top 50 RPI matchups. Think how exciting those would be. It would be cool. People would go out to those games. Like, I think it's one they kind of need to lean into. I think lacrosse will be good for the future yeah. because of what Shelly Clays has done and how they've kind of developed that program. But it's also one that, like, some of doesn't even have it. They're playing in the American. Um, kind of where where JMU is, there is definitely some lacrosse, like, regional emphasis. But, like, baseball, softball are huge um, in the Harrisonburg Valley area. So, yeah, let's see them get better i think we'll uh we'll keep talking about this but my guess is they they ultimately move on i think so too um anything else you want to add before we get up on out of here oh i think we uh i think we covered it well for ben conlin my name is jack fitzpatrick you guys have a wonderful rest of your day see you next week
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.